Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Did you guys have a conspiracy cake today? I had uh, two conspiracy cakes. How many was I supposed to eat? <laughs> One Dude. per year. <laughs> One per year. Two whole cakes. One per year, obviously. Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by the one and only Slick Frank Sanders. Hey, yo, Slick Frank Sanders here. Mike, Dave, buenos noches. Hey. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We are live in an HD. Hello. How you doing? Hey. Hey, Hi, how are you? Hey, hey, how are you? We got our party hats on. We're ready to go. We're festive for our second birthday. Second yeah. birthday. We are we are small. We're little children. Toddlers in the podcast world. <laughs> and it's our 50-50 breathing. What do you say about that? 55 episodes? I mean, we should be at like 600. But. Should be. But it's our first ever mid-season live show. We decided to start for season six. And in this one, we are going to explore some of our personal favorite and most intriguing conspiracies found on that conspiracy iceberg chart. I believe it was the OG one that we were looking at. We'll also be shooting the shit about some of our favorite moments over the past couple of years. But before we steam ahead onto this iceberg, be sure to check us out on all our social medias, as always. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and our Discord. Over at our Discord, we are holding the X-Files watch parties every Sunday. I have kicked them back off. We're watching some other documentaries throughout the week. Come on over and hang out. Watch the X-Files on Sundays, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's been a fun time. We've been watching The Family. If you haven't heard of it, it's a very interesting documentary on Netflix. We're watching that on Tuesdays. Same bat time, same bat channel, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For everything else, Hush Hush Society. Visit our official website, hushhushsociety.com. Absolutely. Check out our website. Everything on our website is amazing. We have all of our episodes. We have our blog section, which is regularly updated. You can find the link to our Patreon, which Frank will tell you about in a second. And you can find Hush Merch and anything else that pertains to Hush Hush Society. You can buy us coffee because caffeine is amazing. That's Caffeine is life. Yeah, please keep tapping the veins of the caffeine <laughs> world. Let's go. <laughs> Head over to Spotify. Listen to us. And drop a five-star rating. Tell us we are amazing. You can also drop a review right on our website. And as well, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just rate us. Tell us we're good. Tell us we're doing okay. Tell us what we can do better. Yeah, tell us things. Tell us things. (laughs) Let us know that you enjoy being a hushling, first and foremost. That's the best. As Dave promised, I'm here to plug our Patreon. That is right. We have well over seven hours of exclusive content that's only available on Patreon. 
We've got a couple of different segments. So we obviously have our exclusive debriefings, which are just like our regular debriefings. We've got the Frank Factor. There is Mystery Mike's Cryptid Erotica. We just keep pumping them out, man. Pumping them out. You can pump $5 a month into the Hush Hush Society (laughs) bank account for access to that exclusive content. You can find all of that at www.patreon.com slash Hush Hush Society. There's links for that in most of our social medias somewhere and on the website. Pretty easy to find. And hello to our Paranormal Network guys. Yeah, Paranormal Network stuff. We out here. This is their first live show, so they get to experience this, yeah. Well, they won't have it live, but... No, unless they're devoted. Yes, Hushlings, do you know what time it is? It's time for us to blow out the candles, because we're two years old. I uh, I just popped a little bottle here. Popping bottles. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's very small. It's a very little, little bottle. Let's see. Unless I'm a large man. It <laughs> might be a giant little sip for you guys. So, oh, is that champagne? Are you drinking champagne? Ah, I fucking hate champagne. Why would you buy that? You hate I want it to be fucking festive, okay? I want it to be in the moment. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. What do you say we discuss some of our favorite moments for the first two years of our show? Damn, feels weird to say two years. Who wants to go first? I'll start it off. Listen, I love every single one of our live shows. When we first did our live show, our very first live show at the end of season one, we had like two watchers the entire time. (laughs) And then it went up from there. More and more people joined. More and more people enjoyed our antics coming on live and sitting with us for two hours or whatever it took us to record. And I think every time that we've done a live show, it's been great. So for those of you that have been to every one of our live shows, or at least most of them, thank you. We appreciate you very, very much. That's a good one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Frankie, what about you? Are we talking about a singular moment here? It doesn't have to be singular. Yeah. I mean, broad strokes. It could be. Yeah. I would say just the entire process of transitioning to video because it was such this huge change for us. It just took this year and a half of things that we've been doing. And we almost got into like this, it was like a, not habitual, but. Like a routine, we sit down, we record, all right, guys, have a nice night. But with the video, it brought this whole new element that we had to build on top of what we had already been doing for a year and a half. And it brought some challenges, which brought some fun, brought some headaches. It was was interesting. I liked it. We're still (laughs) going with that challenge. And I like the challenge of it. That challenge is making everybody that listens to us uh not see us as like glazed donuts because i'm sweating (laughs) fucking pig right now (laughs) we all record in spaces that are like 900 degrees yep i'm in a kiln i'm in a kiln at the moment (laughs) oh my god absolutely terrible but the party hat's nice i like that yeah what about you dave give us a favorite of yours I'm going to have to kind of side a little bit more with frankie on this one where it's the process of going through watching season one and then seeing season two and then three and four and now five and six, like getting into that. And now we're halfway through season six. So we're about to go into seven. I think just watching that entire process of how the show has evolved and how it started out. It's always been kind of the same in my opinion, but I think we've just figured out certain things and we're getting better every day. Yeah, we cut the fat a little bit on some stuff, and I think we're in a good groove. And then I think getting 100,000 downloads, that's a really cool thing. I think that's 
a lot of fun. 50,000 was crazy. 25,000 was crazy for us. We were like, who the fuck <laughs> wants to listen to our voices? You know, yeah. some people don't. Some people call us nasally whiny. And we should, <laughs> we should uh, probably uh, gig for Coldplay. But, you know, Join for particular bands. How about we slam the RMS hush right into the side of this giant fucking block of conspiratorial ice? Let's ram it in. We are two years old, everyone. We're two years old. <laughs> that was Dave it's, screaming it's actually, for, yeah, for it's excitement. Coming out, it's coming out through my throat. You didn't hear it, but that was that was actually me. That's Mystery Max. Mystery uh, Max. He's saying <laughs> hello. <laughs> I like that, it's, Mystery that's Max. That's my boy. Let's start with your pick from the Conspiracy Iceberg chart. All right. Originally, I had a different topic and I switched it up because I thought it would be fun, the original one, but there's no point. Let's do this one. This one's a lot more fun. Boys, now for a long time, there's been this rumor on the internet that mountains we see are not really mountains, but they're trees. Mm. 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 Very interesting, right? And it's actually called Flat Earth Theory 2, 2.0, second version. And it says the actual mountains from all over the world are not what they seem to be. And they're actually just giant stumps that have been hacked off. And if the theory is true, it makes us question a lot of things about our life. Obviously, you know, if the earth is flat around, but that's a different debate. But this goes hand in hand with it because if it's flat earth too, it would change Wait, all the history of mankind. Can I stop you right there? Just a quick question. Yeah. How does flat earth relate to every mountain possibly being a tree? Because the plane is bigger than what we think it is. So trees are bigger. So is this not viable on a spherical earth? <laughs> <laughs> then it looks like a coronavirus model, you know, just the ball. Yeah, the I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, if trees were that big, then, you know, if we're moving at a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> you know. All right. All right. Yeah, I got you. That makes yeah, kind, no. of, kind of somewhat sense. I'm very excited to talk about Flat Earth at some point. Season seven, it's coming back. We'll do our due diligence on it, but you still haven't convinced me. So are they ancient giant trees? That's the question. Now, we have a picture on our screen. We'll post it. That that one in the bottom right actually looks like trees. Oh, those are tree stumps, huh? <laughs> those look incredibly resemblant of trees. You're telling me that's a mountain? The pictures, they're not convincing, at least to me. Some of these pictures that we're looking at, we're looking at mesas and flat-looking mountains. If they were sheared off, I mean, one, the question is, what could do something like that? Especially if they're mm. miles wide or many miles wide. And that would mean that these trees were probably hundreds of miles high, right? They would be huge. Paul Bunyan? If I may, just because our listeners can't actually look at these pictures, if they wanted to Google a few examples, there's Aluru in Australia, Aluru Mountain. There is also Devil's Tower in Wyoming, and there is Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland. And these are all great examples of how mountains may have used to be trees. Beautiful. You guys know where the tallest tree on earth is? I'm going to say in the Congo. That's my guess. It's actually right here in California. It's in America. Oh, shit. It's in America. We grow them big in America. <laughs> the, <laughs> the tree is called Hyperion. It's in Redwood National Park right here in California, and it measures 383.3 feet. 
Now, for a scale, if anybody's been to San Diego or San Francisco, that would mean that that tree is 180 feet taller than the apex of the Coronado Bridge and 160 feet taller than the apex of the Golden Gate Bridge. Can you translate that into Eiffel Towers for me? We can, yeah. No, no, don't, don't. I'm going to do it. Can you translate that into Coors Light cans? <laughs> How many Bud Lights is that tree exactly? I'm sure you could, you could probably Google that and honestly get that. Hushlings. How many Coors Light cans? Regular cans. <laughs> I want an answer by the end of this live. The Eiffel Tower is 1,000 feet tall. 1,000? Really? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's a conspiracy within itself. I don't buy that for a second. Yeah. France isn't real. <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of conspiracy and conspiracy theorists, there's a Russian conspiracy theorist that concluded that we've been duped again by the scientific world, which is ultimately designed to keep us in the dark about our planet's true history. And he states that when a time when Earth was dominated by massive, possibly sentient tree-like creatures and as well as silicone-based life forms and not mm. the carbon-based life forms that we see today. Sentient trees like Lord of the Rings. We will not fight your war. <laughs> That's actually an interesting thing. So sentient-like trees, I think of mushroom or fungi networks when I think about that. Mm. Mushrooms or other types of fungi work in a network where they can share memories and they know what's going on on one side of the network on the other side of the network so they are communicating throughout the network i forgot what they said but there is the world's largest fungi network and it's been there for like thousands of years and it just keeps growing and growing it's massive massive mm-hmm isn't that how roots communicate with each other through fungi underneath? Isn't that like a the system? Dense tree collections even have those root systems that are not, they don't even just overlap, they interconnect. Yeah. So maybe not as vast as fungi membranes, but yeah, yeah, root systems will do that same sort of thing. One tree can devote some nutrient to another tree that's dying or diseased and then vice versa. If that tree is diseased, it can pass it on to the next tree. We have an answer. Mm. How many Bud Light cans? <laughs> no way. 1,083 Coors Light cans is the same height as the Eiffel Tower. All right. So divide that by what? Like a, <laughs> almost a third? A little I bit more than a third? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. If the Eiffel Tower is 1,000 feet. That's saying that each Coors Light can is like a foot. You might be going by tall boy math. We're, yeah, we're looking tall, for- I think that's tall boy math. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The 22 that's, ounces. That's tall boy math. It says height 984 feet, 1,083 to the tip from the base. What? Just the tip to the base. <laughs> Jesus. That's porn star status. So they're, they're measuring from the base is. is so that's proper. tall boy. That's tall boy measurement if you're going by that. So almost 1,100 tall boys of Coors Light. That's a lot of beer. If you call Coors Light beer. Speaking of delicious drinks, <laughs> have some champagne, Michael. Moving on. Now, clearly, these trees are stumps now, so they must have been wiped out by a cataclysmic event of Earth history, leaving only stumps. And there's a formula that's derived from a study of modern trees, which is used to determine the height. Hypothetically, a tree's height is usually 20 times 
higher than its actual base. It's not the girthiest. We mentioned the Devil's Tower earlier, which very much looks like a tree stump, but it's probably not. That, if you did the math on that, it would be four miles high. According to the National Park Service, they're quoted, geologists agree that Devil's Tower began as magma, or molten rock buried beneath the Earth's surface. What they cannot agree upon is the processes which made the magma to form and cool as the way the tower stands now. In the relationship to the geology around the area, if you know the area, it's very, very, very flattish. Having this giant thing rise up is pretty, pretty peculiar. But wouldn't you find more of those if there was like an ancient forest there that was like that? You would think so, but maybe they didn't work like forests as we know it. Maybe these mm. trees that were miles and miles tall weren't very common. Think in terms of resources needed for trees. If you have a massive tree, it requires more resources in order for it to grow, which requires more water and more nutrients, whatever. It saps up all this stuff into the tree, which could take away from the surrounding land. If a tree was that massive, then it's pulling all the nutrients and all and everything from the land around it. Uh-huh. And that would be miles miles and miles away especially if the tree was already four miles tall yeah so maybe that's also why most of these things are found in desert or arid type climates is wyoming an arid climate i imagine they probably get rain right you're looking at the modern climates though so if these trees Mm, did exist they were probably millennia ago when the earth was probably would have been recognized as like an alien planet if you were to see it now it was probably indistinguishable from what the earth looks like now so where these alleged massive stumps are it's easy to say that tree must have been pulling in all of that nutrients makes sense as to why there's no more around there but maybe back then there was a lot more nutrients which is kind of backstepping from what i said about how maybe they're not very common maybe there was a bunch of them i don't know what the nutrients looked like for plant life millennia ago we got to look at the layout of the planet way, way back then as compared to now. Yeah, it's and the crazy thing is that they say that these tree stumps or whatever that are now mountains just deteriorated into quartz, which is the mm. second most common mineral on the Earth's crust after they died. But how does that happen? I'm not a paleontologist, but like, how would wood turn into rock or bone turn into rock when you look at fossils? Well, they petrify, right? There's that whole petrified forest thing in Arizona or something like that. That's really cool. Check that out. I've never checked that out. But this also brings up something pretty fascinating, and it's called piezoelectricity. If you've never heard of that, piezoelectricity is an accumulation of an electric charge caused by mechanical stress that occurs in crystals, such as quartz, or some biological matter, such as bone, proteins, or even DNA. Simply put, if you hit or squeeze a crystal hard enough, it will generate electricity. Imagine if a crystalline structure several miles tall, the voltage output that could happen of gravity pulling down on it, that type of friction, I guess, it kind of feels like something out of like Mass Effect or Halo. Science fiction. Almost like having charges in the air, which Nikola Tesla was the guy that to do that died a poor, poor man, uncredited man. Yeah. So it's uh, pretty shitty, and that would kind of go in a line with the way that of suppression of information. At least he was overshadowed by the hero Edison. 
Oh, thank God for Edison. God bless Edison. God bless getting the fucking light bulb that's making me melt right now. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Do you think Tesla would have made a light bulb that would have been cooler? Is that what you're alluding to? Well, put it this way. When you're in a thunderstorm and you're not struck by lightning, but there's lightning around you, do you feel the heat? So if there was a charged cloud above you, you wouldn't feel the heat. But since Edison created light bulbs that generate heat, this motherfucker generated a lot of sweltering with light. Bastard. So are are you are you blaming Thomas Edison for global warming right now? Is that what's happening? Because that's Guys, that's how I'm making it out to be. Global warming is not real. Oh, so this goes a little flat earthy Reddit. But Tesla did say, now this is a quote that can neither confirm or deny that Tesla even said it. It's quoted that Tesla said, Earth is a realm, it is not a planet. Whatever he's implying by that is whatever he's implying. It is not an object, therefore it has no edge. And Earth would more easily be defined as a system environment. Earth is also a machine. It is a Tesla coil. So he coined himself. So he probably didn't fucking say this. (laughs) The sun and the moon are powered wirelessly with an electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. This field is also suspended in spheres with an electromagnetic levitation and electromagnetic levitation disproves gravity because the only force you need to counter is the electromagnetic force, not gravity. And the stars are attached to the firmament. Now the user dirty bird nine, eight, love that name, man. <laughs> he goes, well, shit. I've never seen that quote. And Tesla is actually describing concave earth. And that is a great way to describe it. Man, that really blows my mind. Do you have a source for it? And the actual author, and this was six years ago, by the way, but good thing on Reddit. He goes, saw the quote today while looking for more info on this tree stuff. Tried to find an actual source, but nah, most likely made up by flat earthers. (laughs) Source, (laughs) trust me, bro. I'm still trying to find the link between this and Flat Earth. I mean, I know you explained it a little bit at the beginning, but I wasn't sold on it. I think it's the link of disinformation. We're lied to about everything. I think that's the link that I'm getting. Because Flat Earth goes along with if nukes are fake, dinosaurs aren't real, this and that. There's so many things that go back down the rabbit hole and hit in the same notion of flat earth. I wish this was about flat earth. We should have done fucking flat earth. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what do you guys think? Do you think that mountains were actually giant ancient trees? Those pictures are convincing if you look at them really quick and you're not thinking too critically. It is convincing. I have seen video of people chipping away at stone that looks like tree bark. And then there's, like you said, some sort of quartz or some sort of crystal underneath which i Mm -hmm. found a little odd but kind of goes in line with what's going on and being said here but i think the most intriguing and just fucking cool part of this would be the existence of giants that yeah they don't necessarily go hand in hand just because you have massive trees does not necessarily mean that you have giants or large people But I immediately think of Jack and the Beanstalk, obviously, if we're talking about massive trees or giants in general. I'm not so sure if I'm sold on it because of the lack of any more examples. Like, how many examples are there really if you were to get a gathering of all the examples of this? How many are there possibly? 
It would be uh, really interesting to see if we can find an exact number of all these types of examples like we see in the pictures. Well, I hate to butt into your final thought, but the people that are like heavily proponents of this theory are convinced that rocks aren't real and that every single rock from a tiny pebble in a stream to a massive mountain like Everest was once a tree and that all of that is the remnants of these massive trees. If you're going to ask a real proponent of this theory, they're going to tell you that you need no more example than the gravel lot at the Big E <laughs> to be completely upfront with you. Okay, so if we went along that line of thinking, yeah, mountains are trees and rocks aren't real. Rocks are not real, people. Rocks aren't real. <laughs> On the next debriefing, rocks aren't real. (laughs) (laughs) That's the new jam. Dave, what's your thought on it? Because it is the topic that you chose, so I'm interested to see what you think about it. I think the reason why I chose it is because I've been doing existential research on Flat Earth. I thought you were going to say cocaine. Do I I look? I think I'm too calm for cocaine right now. But I've been doing existential research on Flat Earth to make our next episode on that topic better because we completely took giant lava dumps on Flat Earthers the entire time (laughs) on our first one. I was just, just trying to get down that rabbit hole and I saw this one on the list or on the picture that we had. And then I saw it popping up in some of the flat earth stuff. So I thought it would be pretty interesting to see. There's so many conspiracies that go along with that. But if you want my personal opinion, a mesa is not a tree stump. I I don't believe it. Devil's Tower, it looks like a tree stump. Some of the examples that we'll have that we'll post look like tree stumps, but they're probably rocks. I think rocks are real. Frank? I'm left with questions. (laughs) I'm left with a lot of questions after you presented this topic, Dave. Mostly, I want to know why all of these trees are now stumps and why there aren't any more existing. It's a big saw. A big saw. A big saw is right. I don't think that mountains were at one point trees. I wish I could blow your socks off and tell you that, yeah, these, these mountains were definitely trees and I totally believe it and we live in that planet from the Avatar. But that's not the case. I don't think that these were trees at any point in time. It's a fun one, though. Fun theory. Let's move away from rocky trees and stumps. Have you ever heard of quantum immortality? I feel like that's something we mentioned, but no, no. We may have. Hushlings, let me know what you think about this one. Quantum immortality is the concept that your mind or consciousness will transport to an entirely different dimension when faced with imminent and certain death. You enter this new reality because it is necessary to do so in order to survive. Right as you die, you'll enter the said dimension and continue living. Before we go any further, thoughts on that? Questions? (laughs) Hypothetically, you fell off a building or something. You got hit by a car or something like that. Did you actually die in that action and then you're transported into a different realm, your consciousness, but you don't know because of that? I think we have talked about this. Imagine two different outcomes with getting hit by a car. Let's say in one reality, you step off the sidewalk and a Mack truck hits you. Mm -hmm. In the other reality, instead of stepping off the sidewalk, somebody 
pulls your shirt back and you're back on the sidewalk. In this conspiracy or in this theory, you being pulled back onto the sidewalk is your new reality. You have been transferred into another dimension where you continue to live. Now, if you've been pulled back from that imminent death, you are in a new stream of reality. Spoiler alert to my final thoughts, and I know that I mentioned this in simulation theory. I'm convinced that this is the truth. Call it dissociation, call it mental illness. Like, I am convinced of this. That's my thought on that. Did you guys see the video I sent you last night about that girl that said that she, like, realm switches or whatever? No. Dave, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't watch every one of your videos. They call it shifting realities. If you watch the video, this person can actually transport themselves into a different reality. With it. So, so she says. Yeah. PCP is a hell of a drug. I mean, like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> One thing that's pretty scary is the fact that every mandala effect or slight change comes from you not being originally from this reality. Was it Berenstein or Berenstein? You pretty much died many times, and the versions of people you know and love might not be from your original reality. Essentially, this would only work in the theory of infinite parallel universes, or the multiple worlds interpretation. Like Frank said, we did talk about this in simulation theory, and we were talking about it regarding deja vu. Mm. And that being pretty much like a checkpoint if you were in a video game checkpoint where you died and you respawned and you just don't know that just an update on that i have an update on my deja vu thing because i told you guys about my super bizarre relationship with deja vu i started having this new thing i told you that like i can kind of feel when deja vu is coming on i get this weird feeling before it actually happens and deja vu is that feeling in an instance of you doing a certain action or at a certain moment in time and before that moment in time i will actually actively choose to do whatever is the opposite or something else of the impulse that i'm getting so if i'm like okay i'm about to have weird deja vu of grabbing this can of soda i walk away from it i've been doing that and it's super weird that is weird yeah Right before that deja vu feeling hits, I'll like just walk away or end a conversation. I won't press that button. I don't know. Strange. That is strange that you have some sort of control over it is also strange. It's just weird that I can like feel it coming on and it's it it might sound like bullshit. But when you experience that feeling as many times as I have, you start to it's not just like bang okay weird this is deja vu you can feel the come up of it Mm. it's weird drugs man yeah drugs drugs. i blame drugs dissociation mental illness just like i said (laughs) (laughs) in this theory maybe you were struck by lightning and survived but you actually didn't and you would never even know the difference because now you've changed into a different reality where you didn't get struck by lightning. Like I said, getting hit by a bus or not. Hugh Everett released his work on the, quote, theory of universal wave function, which suggests the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics in 1956. 
which gave rise to the concept of quantum immortality. There was a thought experiment that was introduced by Ewan Squires in 1986 and published independently by Hans Moravec in 1987, as well as Bruno Markal in 1988. Here's where it gets a little technical. Try and keep up. As a thought experiment, quantum immortality, or suicide, is an intellectual exercise in which an abstract setup is followed through to its logical consequences merely to prove a theoretical point. Yeah, you fucking lost me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's along the lines of what Frank was just talking about, is instead of doing the action, you follow through in a completely different action to see if it ends in the same way to induce the quantum suicide. Maybe you're a quantum jumper, Frankie, and that's like something you're just addicted to is just snapping into different realities. And that's why you don't do or do stuff. It's not that I'm addicted to it. Like, I don't like being like, all right, so I'm not going to do this thing that I feel like I'm going to do. It's just like deja vu is like a different thing. And it doesn't make me uncomfortable if I try to avoid what I think the deja vu is going to be. He's done the jump multiple times. You live an interesting life, man. (laughs) I know. The quantum suicide thought experiment uses a device similar to Schrodinger's cat. If you're not familiar, it's a hypothetical cat that is both dead and alive, but existing within a box, so you don't know whether it's dead or alive, so it exists simultaneously in both states. We can't use a real cat. There's a lot of uh, violations Even if we did, you wouldn't know if it was dead or alive. That's the point. Fair point walk up to a PETA person and be like, I have this box. I want you to guess if the cat inside is alive or dead. What's in the box? What's in the box? (laughs) The entire process takes place in a box that kills the occupant with probability one half due to quantum uncertainty. A person would get inside of this Schrodinger's box and they would either be killed or not be killed by something that is only occurring due to probability. How you control that, I have no clue. During measurement, the particle randomly collapses. All those possibilities become actual and giving several independent and individual outcomes. If you do the experiment over a long enough period of time, it's about half and half. So half the time the occupant is killed and the other half they live. That's only if the multiple world interpretation real. Yes, that's only if quantum immortality is a real theory. This is the one reality versus multiple realities issue transposed from quantum realm to the macro world in which we inhabit. Got all that? Instead of getting into all the technicalities of it, just think of it this way. You were supposed to eat that poisoned donut and you didn't. And in one reality you did, you died. And you didn't want to die, so your consciousness jumped to a different reality where you continued to live. That's it. With no recollection of it. No recollection. You have no idea that it happened. Think about all the times where you said to yourself, man, I should have died. Chances are that was you just jumping into a new reality where you continued to live and you actually did die. Or at least that version of you died. That's pretty trippy. It is Mm. wild. To play quantum Russian roulette, a quantum gun... That works as a trigger, a machine gun that shoots or skips shooting dependent on the trigger, and the test subject, who also serves as an observer, are required. Got that? 
I'm going to get shot by a quantum gun. I'm still trying to decipher that. Is that like a large hydrogen collider, like a particle accelerator shooting you in the chest? I'm trying to get on the subatomic level here in the thought process, but it's it's difficult. I feel like it's metaphorical. I don't think they're talking about an actual Mm. quantum gun. Mm. Yeah. You need something to trigger that quantum mechanic, something that actually plays out the action of squeezing the trigger and then somebody to experience it. Yeah. The blast. Essentially, there's no way to prove whether or not this is real. No matter how many experiments you go through, there's no way to prove it. Because if you were to, say, play Russian roulette in some sort of way where you have a six bullet chamber and you put three rounds in and you spin the gun and you pull the trigger, like either way, whether that person lives or dies, you don't know whether or not they jump to a different reality. Yeah. Did you just shoot that dude in the head and then his consciousness transferred to another reality? You have no idea. You have no proof of it. But you're going to jail for murder. In your reality, yeah. You're, you're fine. Yeah. In your reality, you just blew somebody's brains out. And his exactly. new reality, it might have just been a hammer click. That's you true. Know? That's true. <sighs> That's so wolf. Steep. Steep. That that hurts, man. Oh, dude. <laughs> Max Tegmark's book, Our Mathematical Universe, lays out three abstract criteria that a quantum suicide experiment must meet. The random number generator must be quantum, not deterministic, in order for the experimenter to be in a state of being both dead and alive. (laughs) See what I mean about these experiments? The experimenter must be rendered dead or at least unconscious, on a time scale shorter than that on which the outcome of the quantum measurement can be realized. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The experiment must be almost certain to kill the experimenter rather than just injure them. It has to be something that threatens your life, that will Fatal. kill you. Yeah. Because obviously if I shot you in the leg, that's not killing you, so that's not killing, you know, having your consciousness avoid death by jumping into another reality. That's wild. It's a, it's a deep one, man. It's a deep one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at what some people said on Reddit. This user says, do you think that sometimes quantum immortality has affected the entire planet? This is just off the top of my head, considering today's news and comments. They're talking about some UN meetings and North Korea whatnot. In my life, there have been several occasions where nuclear war was not only possible, but likely. JFK and the Cuban Missile Crisis, Stanislav Petrov incident in 1983, to name two well-known occasions. Then there are weird incidents like the Vela incident. If you're not familiar, look it up. What if we, on an international scale, have been subject to changing timelines, not just because of a personal accident, but due to things which affected the whole world? They're talking about nuclear winter, where we were all going to die and we all transferred dimensions, our consciousness shift. Oh, maybe that's what the consciousness shift is. That's Maybe that's what everybody talks about when they're talking about a consciousness oh. shift. I don't know about that. I just picture like wokeness. I don't know. But that reminds me of the show, The Man in the High Tower, if the Nazis won the war. Whole completely different parallel of a world changing event. The user Ichoro 
goes on to say, I see quantum immortality as each thing you do could or couldn't kill you, and there's an infinite amount of yous that died or lived from any initial interaction. Like, if I drank bleach and survived, I killed a wide swath of other me's, thus bifurcating a bunch of other branches within my own interdimensional lineage. So I'd say so. There's probably a bunch of you's who died from that initial interaction, and a bunch who didn't. Luckily, you're in the didn't die branch, and I'm happy to see you here. Thank you. So essentially, you black out, wake up fucking on the floor, and you died from alcohol poisoning, but you didn't. Like, 16 of you did. Why would you want to limit your use? It makes me wonder, and this is getting into final thoughts, it makes me wonder the people that are killed in our reality, those people shifted before they were killed and went into a different reality where they continue to live. When we're talking about big mass casualty events, Mm. do they all shift? And in that reality, what happens? If we're talking about 9-11, for example, 3,000 people get killed. In the reality that they shift to, do they all make it out of the building? Do those planes never hit? That's what I wonder is like what the alternate reality is. Sometimes it's the thought process is easy to think of. Like you said, if you were drinking and you drank yourself to death and then you wake up, that could be passed off. But a mass casualty event like that and maybe what they were talking about where there's an international dimensional shift, like how does that work out? What happens on the other end of that? Because obviously, even in the living end of it, if the World Trade Center was hit by a plane, the people in the plane are definitely dead, unless they shifted realities where the plane misses the building. And they land the plane safely. It's a deep rabbit hole, especially when you start getting into the multiple world theory and the infinite number of worlds and the infinite numbers of you. It's hard to comprehend. Really. Which goes hand in hand with sim theory. It really does. The fact that you're in a never-ending simulation-coded world. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, what do you guys think? Dave? It hurts to think about, but I think there's a big part of it that's actually kind of depressing. If we've gone through multiple shifts and say you're you, are you the same you that I've known for almost 20 years? That's weird to think about. Are you the same person that walked in the room when I first met you? And am I the same person? It's very interesting to think about that, to think about all the people, even like your family, all the people Mm. that you know, are they the same? But would you notice, would it matter? That's the point. Maybe when somebody makes like a major shift in their life, is that like, did something happen? I try to think about that. I was like, man, if somebody moved, you never thought that they would like, for example, like when you originally moved to California, I was like, this dude's moving to Boston. That's what's happening. And then off to California. And I was like, maybe that's a shift. But what happened to you traumatically? Your life would have had to have been in danger. So something would have had to happen or mine. Mm. And I don't remember if that's yeah. the case, but that's where I go with it. You bring up an, an interesting point. Let's talk about for a minute how that would change a person. Hmm. In your example, where that person went and got stupid drunk. I mean, they got fucked up. And in one reality, they died from alcohol poisoning. That version of them is dead, but the 
consciousness is supposed to be the same. It's supposed to be identical that moves on to the next dimension or the next world. But let's say the living part of you, the living you, wakes up from that, has a wicked hangover and says, fuck this. I'm never drinking again. It's never happened. And then you do it on Friday night. No, no, but they honestly go and they make a major life change where they're not drinking anymore and now they're becoming a different person, whether it be better or worse, but they're becoming a better person or a different person based on the action of feeling like shit from that hangover instead of dying from that. But it took multiple other yous to die Yeah, for that switch to happen. That's a very interesting outlook. In this particular outcome, only one of you died, the one drunk. Then you go and change your personality and what you become based off of that. That does bring in the thought of if you did die in those situations, did you change or did the people around you that you know change because of that death? And like I said, it goes with simple things like just the thought process of moving somewhere. Mm -hmm. Frank, what's your final thought on this before we move on? I'm a heavy proponent of everything within the realm of this theory. I am heavily invested in it. I think about stuff like this on my daily. Like I said, I even play around with things in this nature when it comes to deja vu type stuff and stuff within dreams. I've had dreams of dying in particular places. And if I'm in that certain spot, sometimes I'll get a weird feeling, a bad feeling and Yeah, just to keep it brief, I'm convinced, like I said earlier, that this is exactly what happens. That is my version of the afterlife. I don't at this point believe in heaven or hell. That is what I believe in. It's cool that I can now put a name to it and that it is quantum immortality. That's what I believe in. I like it. That is literally my afterlife theory. That is my (laughs) religion. (laughs) Hushlings will return after this short message. Top of the morning, Hushlings. Come jig through County Dublin with the boys in our 56th installment of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. We'll explore the mysteries of the legend of the Killicky Cat, talking about the lay of the land, breaking down what the Killicky Cat is and how it came to be, and sightings of the damned feline, as well as a cult that may have played a hand in the legend. Streaming everywhere, Monday, September 5th, Video also available on the Paranormal Network, Tuesday, September 6th. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. All right, Frank, let's get to your theory. I'm excited. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Hushlings, I know it's almost inevitable nowadays, but we're at a point where most of our interactions are digital and sometimes it can feel like you're the last human left. And maybe you are. Have you heard of the dead internet theory? Like I said, we've been talking about this for a while. We've been wanting to cover this, saw it, and I knew it was the one. It all started by Illuminati Pirate, where they started a thread on 4chan called the dead internet theory, most of the internet is fake. It was compiled of information about dead internet theory that was written initially by anonymous users of 4chan's paranormal section, as well as on another site called WizardChan. Much of the theory revolves around manipulative government and corporate efforts to control the population mixed with early internet nostalgia. Ooh, they get you. 
get you in the heartstrings. See, that's huge because everybody experiences nostalgic thoughts. But for me, and I, I know for you guys as well, there's certain things like stuffed crust pizza. 3D Doritos. Yeah, 3D Doritos. I think they're back though. <laughs> Not even particular products. I saw an ad on Instagram maybe two or three months ago for some igloo coolers. It was an igloo advertisement. And there was this whole line of igloo coolers that were literally capitalizing on nostalgia. They were all retro and they were modeled after old TV shows, old video games. And I'm looking at them and I'm about to buy a $60 cooler that's not worth <laughs> any more than $15 because it had a specific graphic on it. And I got home and I told my girlfriend about it in absolute disgust. I was like, I almost spent $60 on nostalgia. Now, the current state of the internet is described as feeling empty and devoid of people or even devoid of content. According to the post on 4chan, they compared the internet of, say, 2007 and beyond. The internet of today is entirely sterile. Behind the hypothetical metaphorical death of the internet are corporations working in conjunction with the government to push propaganda and coerce actual users to purchase products. I'm sure the majority of the population experience this on a day-to-day -day basis, easily relatable. This happens all the time. Well, yeah, now we're going to get Sobe ads because we mentioned it and our cell phone is in our back pocket. Exactly. I'm so sick of getting advertisements of things that I didn't even punch into my keyboard. Like, they're listening. I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, yes, exactly. Think about some of the stuff that you watch, though. If you watch, say, somebody doing an interview or something like that, some of those ads and things that you see are AI-generated people. They're not like hiring actors in some of these things anymore. They must have at some point because they had to calibrate a person's face, but the technology to, to replicate somebody's face in like a video game, you almost can't see the difference, especially if it's just a face rendering and not a whole environment. That's really weird. When I was looking a little bit into this a little bit, I was like, fuck, dude, especially with customer service. You're just talking to AI. I'm trying to understand this theory. What are they saying? They're saying that when you go on Facebook, the people that you're interacting with aren't real or the businesses that you're not that you're interacting with aren't real. All of it. Well, the businesses probably the businesses are real, but it's mostly, yeah, not real people. Like the majority of the people on the internet aren't real. Instagram's a good one. Have you ever gotten some random friend request from obviously somebody that you're like, who the no? Like who the hell is yeah, that? Yeah, the bot. Yeah, it's yeah, it's bots. And is the actual person controlling that? Probably not. It's just written in some type of software that's has that done. You're seeing that on the personal level. You're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing it on social medias and then probably dating sites and shit like that. And then email. Like phishing emails is just AI sending you stuff. What I get out of it is it's really trying to say is that most of the content you see isn't made by people. As well as the people who are allegedly consuming that content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe even how many views might be like elaborated because you're getting bot clicks on views and stuff. That brings in click farms. Have you ever seen the videos of those God. click farms? Those weird, small apartment almost complexes that are just filled with cell phones on every wall. They're programmed to just scroll through videos, like posts, comment on stuff. And corporations pay these click farms to do exactly that. 
up clicks, up likes, up comments. Yeah, for real. Apparently, some outlets don't even write their own articles. There are some AI programs that can create music as well as whole entire blog sections. And it's just AI pumping you content. This AI is just producing stuff for you to read, stuff for you to listen to. And then once you incorporate the deep fake factor into all of that, it starts to get a little bit more scary. So deep fakes, if any of our listeners are unaware to what exactly that is, it's an artificial intelligence program that can essentially make somebody say and or do something that they're not actually doing by compiling images of them into a database and they take frames of those images and or videos to carry out that action pretty much if i had enough pictures of barack obama during one specific press conference i can make him do and or say whatever i wanted and there's plenty examples of that you can go onto youtube look up deep fake video and there's videos of say tom cruise saying some wild stuff that tom cruise would never actually say it's like an ai skin yeah the deep fake thing is freaky because then you're getting into AI creating people which are allegedly creating content that you're watching along with tons of other AI who are also watching this content that was created by an AI. I stumbled upon a pretty interesting thing about that with an AI content creator. There's this Instagram influencer named Michaela Souza. And at the time of the article that I read, she had well over 3 million followers. And she was your typical Brazilian model living the Los Angeles lifestyle. You got the photo shoots, the product promotion, all sorts of stuff, food pictures, whatever. And in 2018, Michaela's account was hacked and it revealed that she was actually artificially generated and... That she wasn't even a real person. And this account had been active for years and years and years. And she had millions of followers. And this AI was actually influencing people. She was an actual Instagram influencer. And it wasn't even a real person. It was a bot. That's It was pixels. That's fucked up. I feel that way about a lot of internet personalities. How many times have you looked at someone doing a TikTok or doing some sort of Instagram reel or whatever it may be, and you look at them and you see what they're doing and you go, that person's not fucking real. There's no way that person is real because there's no way that a person in this world could act that way. Like I think about that when it comes to those TikTok houses where they gather a bunch of 20-something TikTok influencers and they put 10 of them inside of a fucking house and say, hey, you have to do dances all fucking day. I don't think those people are real. There's no way. There's no way there's people that are that fucking stupid. Ah, I think that. There's, there's, yeah, there, there is a way that people are that fucking stupid. But I kind of believe this one. I kind of believe this one. And I partially believe it. This one's in your face because we're using the internet right now. Yeah, like how many of the people watching the stream, how many of you are bots is what we're asking. There's independent researchers that claim that only 50% of web traffic is actual human interaction and clicks and that that number is decreasing every single year. That's phenomenal. 50%? Yeah, 50%. 
half of the internet is artificial intelligence. It makes sense when you're mindlessly scrolling through some of these videos and you're just like, like Mike said, can people be that dumb? Probably. But how much of these people are actually real people, though, too, that have, like you said, deep fake the algorithm, the AI has taken multiple shots off their Facebook, say they have an Instagram like that Michaela person. She's obviously could have been a real person at one point that all these compiled images were just taken. Created an individual based off of thousands and thousands of other people just combined the features. Yeah, some NPC shit. That's some weird stuff. Large portions of the supposedly human-produced content on the internet are actually generated by artificial intelligence networks in collaboration with paid secret media influencers in order to generate consumers for an expanding range of newly normalized products. There's also what you would call echo chambers on the internet. This is very common. It's a phenomenon in which people segregate themselves based on their beliefs. Algorithms on the internet tend to steer people toward other people who agree with them. And that just increases engagement. And there's another side to that. There's algorithms that will steer people against their beliefs, which cause arguments and blowups, which also keep them on the platform. These algorithms are programmed to manipulate people in order to keep them on the platform, keep them commenting, keep them viewing. In recent years, many people have come to believe that disagreeing with someone means that you despise them, you hate them, you don't like them. That's extremely prevalent right now. Yeah, It's even spilling over into actual physical interactions between people and... The echo chamber thing. The internet's always swayed people to do certain things or to believe certain things and go a certain way. But now it's like the echo chamber is amplified. It's big. And no matter what people hear, whether it's if you're left or right, they go that way or they go that way. There is no other way. And if you're somebody who believes something different, like you said, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Fist fights over bumper stickers, man. When it comes to Facebook, I'm reminded of something that Tim Kennedy said in an interview. I want to say it was on Rogan. He was talking about the Facebook algorithm. What Facebook will do is it will show you a bunch of posts that it knows that you like because it's obviously learned who you are and what you are and everything that you like and dislike. So it'll show you articles and posts that you like in in rapid fire, a bunch of them over and over and over again. And then when you're starting to get to a point where you maybe want to shut down the application or get off your phone or whatever it may be, they'll show you something opposite of what you like, something that will incite you. If you really don't like Fords, you know, they'll show you a bunch of Honda content, a bunch of car stuff, a bunch of motorcycle stuff. And then as you're starting to slow down with scrolling and your eye engagement is gone, they'll pop in a Ford thread or something. And then they'll highlight the comment, somebody in the the forum saying, well, Fords are better than those shitbox cars that you drive. And then that'll bring you back in because you automatically want to push your opinion onto these people because it incited you. And they do it over and over again with politics and religion and a bunch of things that you engage with every day. This very much lines up with the thought that that could be AI generated also because 
maybe there isn't that content that will incite you. So the AI goes and creates a post and creates an entire forum and creates an entire list of comments that will piss you off and then draw you back into the application where you're sitting for another 10 or 15 minutes commenting back and forth with AI who want to get into a fight with you. You might be asking yourself, what does that 10 or 15 minutes mean exactly? What's the point of all of that? And what I get out of it is that it all boils down to money. So for another 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to be shown another X amount of ads, which Mm -hmm. that platform then receives revenue for. Yep. And then you're going to get those t-shirt ads. They'll pop up and they'll say, Ford found on road dead. And you'll be like, oh, I'm going to buy that shirt because now you're <laughs> within the moment of being pissed off about Ford owners and thinking that Hondas are better and whatever else is better. And in that moment, you are buying with emotion and buying with anger pretty much. And they just jack 30 bucks off you to buy a fucking t-shirt. That's an example, obviously, but they could do it with a number of other products. The problem with these echo chambers is that they tend to push people towards extremism. The more people who agree, the more likely that it is that opinions will shift to the extremes. TikTok keeps you mindlessly scrolling. Facebook reinforces your existing opinions and traps you in an algorithm-fueled echo chamber. Bots spam you on Twitter, inciting petty fights and mindless reactions, and denies you the opportunity to think, essentially. Exactly what Mike just said. Researchers from the center, a NATO-accredited research group based in Riga, Latvia, paid three Russian companies 368 U.S. dollars to buy 337000 768 fake likes, views, and shares of posts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, including content from verified accounts such as Senator Chris Murphy. From Connecticut. From CT. Shout out CT. You want to talk about a person who's not real? It makes me wonder. Even people that you know, where it's like when you see posts on Facebook, how many times out of, say you have 700 friends, Out of those 700 friends, you only see maybe 45 posts a day, possibly from those people. How is that picked through the algorithm? Mm. You don't see all your friends as they're coming in. You see token ones. And some of them, it's where I see with some of my friends on there where I'm like, I don't agree with this fucking comment they said. Like, why are they sending me this? So that kind of comes in like, it's almost inciting you to get into an argument with real people at some point yeah. on top yeah. of it it's division i think we talked about this in blackrock the whole big corporation thing to get you on there and get you activated and go to the extremes is nwo shit man what do we think about final thoughts on the dead internet theory frank we'll start with you why not you want to start with me okay I think it's very possible. I've seen my fair share of bots during my time of being active on Instagram frequently and Facebook frequently. I've definitely seen it happen. I just haven't seen it in the scale that I've read about it, but that doesn't mean that's not the case. I've seen articles with researchers that claim that Facebook overestimates its traffic by 150 to 900% of 
real users compared to AI. We're seeing AI Instagram influencers convincing you to buy things. That's not even a real person. There's Elon Musk. He was asking Twitter, how many of these users are actually real people? I'm not going to pay for the company until I know how many actual people are on the platform and they like can't give him an answer. Dead internet theory is an interesting one. I don't know what depths it goes down to. I don't know how much of the internet is actually real people and how much of it is algorithm, but it's undeniable that there's a significant chunk of the internet that aren't human beings. That's code, that's bots, that's an algorithm, that's AI, it's whatever you want to call it, but it's not human interaction. And that's undeniable. And it's a scary thought because in my opinion, it's getting worse and worse and worse every single year. I'm going to agree with that. I think a lot of the internet is bots and I've seen it personally reading up on the way that they run their algorithms and these social medias and the way that they keep engagement going. I definitely don't put it past big corporations and big social media platforms to implement AI assistance, AI-generated posts, and AI-generated users. As we've been saying, bots are a thing. We've all seen them. Like I said, I believe in this theory partially. I do think that there are a lot of people that are creating content. I don't know necessarily that half the internet or half the content on the internet is created by AI. You can maybe say that about blogs. You can maybe say that about articles. How far does your network run? If you went on to Facebook, for instance, and you have a hundred friends on there, you know that you have a hundred friends on there, that those people are real. And then you go to one of those people and then they have a hundred other friends And they know that those people are real. So it's like, how far do you have to follow the network before you start hitting the wall of bots, at least on a platform of Facebook? You know, because that is kind of a network where you're only, for the most part, you're only adding people that you know. Obviously, people go on Facebook and add a bunch of people that they've never met in their entire lives and their name just pops up and they're like, I like your face and they add him as a friend. But yeah, I think it's partially dead, but I think there is, especially in this age, especially nowadays with TikTok and YouTube and just the consumption of content that people constantly want, it has to be mostly carried by humans, I would have to say. David? I want to bring up a point with the article thing. Now, most people read articles to get their news, correct? If those are generated by AI, some of those, because some of these articles, I'm like, who the fuck wrote these? They're so broken English. They're on some of these major news networks. That's a good way to incite extremism on any side of the spectrum, whether you're talking about a virus or politics or just sports teams, something as trivial as that. I think that's a really good way to sway the masses and not even just using social media like Facebook or Instagram. But I agree. I think a lot of the people, if not the bulk, are probably real human beings creating content. I see so many people when you're out in public doing some weird ass dance and you're like, oh, they're making a TikTok. It's almost normal. But in retrospect of thinking about the 
old internet, like MySpace or Facebook in its infancy, when the only way to put more pictures on your MySpace was to get a photo bucket and do this stuff. I think that was more organic human being content within each other because you can only have a certain amount. So it's definitely exponentially grown as AI has gotten better in the way that people code this stuff. So I think the dead internet theory is maybe undead internet theory, undead, half dead internet theory. I think there's some portions of it, brain which dead. are probably, yeah, which are maybe yeah. brain dead, yeah, which are completely dead. But I'm, I'm mixed on this one. I'm going to have to say that there's definitely a lot of probably truth to bots and all that stuff. There's definitely truth to bots. It just happened to us in our Discord on our X-Files watch party. Somebody botted mm-hmm. us. But do I think that it's mostly bots? No, probably not. That's going to do it, Hushlings. We're going to wrap things up. This has been a blast. And mm-hmm. we hope that you enjoyed yourselves as much as we have because this was... Like we said, our first live show at the halfway point of the season, and especially the first live show since we got video. Wow. Yes. Just realized that one. Fun stuff. Look over the Conspiracy Iceberg chart. If you haven't, just Google it. You'll find it. Was there a topic that you wanted us to pick that we didn't? Did you enjoy watching us live? Did you enjoy hearing my theory that went over everyone's head, including my own reach out to us as always at our email at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Be sure to tune in to our 56th debriefing while we explore the mysteries and the spooky legend of the Killicky cat that'll be streaming everywhere Monday, September 5th and on September 6th on the paranormal network. That's going to be a good one. I can't wait for everyone to hear that. Our next exclusive debriefing for all you patrons will be available this Thursday, the 18th, where we investigate the question if nuclear weapons actually exist. And that's only on Patreon. Gets a little wonky. Well, everybody, I want to thank you all. We would like to thank you all for making the last two years so much fun. We hope to have only two more years and that's it. That's it. Four years and we're done. Just like high school. Yep, we're out of here. And it's been quite an adventure. Now, being where we're at now and starting on our first episode, literally, I believe our, I believe our real two-year two anniversary two is the 17th. But we're here, and we're toddlers, and we love you, and we want to thank you again for joining us tonight on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sig Frank Sanders. Just have a little drink here. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.